Good morning, good afternoon, good night. This is Connor Holly of the Golden Hours Podcast, aka Big Boat on Instagram. And real quick, this is a GDP minute. So we just had film producer Chris Meyer up on the show. Really, really fun interview. Chris was the executive producer on a lot of Fairly Brothers projects. So if you don't know the Fairly Brothers, they're a directing duo out of Rhode Island, and they've made hilarious movies over the years. They made Shallow Hal. They made Me, Myself, and Irene. There's something about Mary Hall Pass. Classic comedies. So Chris kind of talked about his career a little bit, going out to L.A., winging it. He ended up linking with the Fairley brothers, and then we di- we dived into a little bit of value, hashtag value about some of the habits that Chris developed early on to have a career of longevity, the importance of developing a team when starting out with a starting out in the film industry and how if you have a succinct team it will help you moving forward. We also discussed bringing big films to Boston and the importance of doing Boston projects with him. And we talked about the shift in consumer preference and kind of how it's a producer's dream to get to land a Netflix deal because Netflix is where the eyeballs are right now, man. A lot of good film talk in there for anybody who's trying to get into film in Massachusetts or wants to get started out working in movies. This is your episode, man. With that being said, this is a GP Minute and I'm Connor Holloway. Whoa. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Enter, just, you forgot to enter. On my right. There's been a bunch of Hollywood figures coming up onto the show. I actually have a young woman from Slate Casting coming up later this week. Great. But they're very good at what they do. Awesome. You guys have you guys worked together yet? I th- on Super Troopers. Cool. How was that? What's set? her name? Julie Knowlton. Yep. She may not remember me, but yeah. So on my right, I have Big Hollywood, and you're a big dude, man. Chris Meyer. Thanks for coming, man. Thanks for having me. For sure. And so I... Golden I, deer. Yes, sir. You're in the forest, brother, man. Black brick, baby boy. As long as you can see beyond the trees, Frankie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Frank. Frank's on the mic today, too. You want to kind of give yourself a quick little introduction? Nah, I'm good. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess that's yeah. what we'll go with. Yeah. So I had... It was kind for Dave Wedge to yeah. introduce me to you, which was great. How, did you guys work together on something or... Uh, we went to college together. No way. Yeah. And then we've stayed in touch and, you know, he's, he left the Herald and his, his, his writing career has just snowballed, you know, from Patriots Wild. To, yeah. The Pete Frady's book. And now he's working on a number of uh, other projects. Well, it's pretty wild. I feel like in Boston, at least what I'm learning is there's now that these big films are coming out here, there's this niche of just figures who all kind of know each other and have worked together a bunch. Mm-hmm. Is that the truth? Oh, yeah. It's a small community, you know, yeah. like, like most, but uh, I'm dating myself a little bit. But in 1998. Uh, I was three. Yeah. So there's something about Mary came out. One of my favorite movies of all time, man. Goodwill, Thank you. Goodwill Hunting came out. Mm-hmm. Some Cambridgeians. And L.A. Confidential. Whoa. Three of the biggest box office smashes and critiques. And that says something about where we come from. And all mass filmmakers. And so since then, do you think that year was big for just kind of developing the scene out here kind of, or when no, I think we've always had a great filmmaking, uh, 
Genesis from Boston that's moved out to Los Angeles. I call us expats. But, I mean, there's a large New England, New York, Chicago-based, you know, community out there. But, yeah, specifically from Massachusetts, it's it's been thriving for a long time. Sorry, before we continue, can you give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do for anybody listening or watching? Hi, my name is Chris Meyer. I'm a uh, filmmaker. Uh, what, what else should I add to that? You're a great guy, from what I'm learning. Uh, my nephew look, thinks I look like Uncle, calls me Uncle Shrek. <laughs> That's pretty disrespectful. That, that, that or a Hellboy. Hellboy. Just I got a way down the hill. Uh, That's a good movie, actually. Really, Hellboy's a great movie. I mean, he's a superhero, right? Who, who doesn't want to be a superhero? And I love it that when he saves the world, they want to give him the Taj Mahal or the or, or, or the White House or some grand place, and all he wants is his cats and some homemade chocolate chip, chip cookies. That's all I want, and a nice glass, gold cla- uh, cold glass of milk. And he's pissed all the time. Yeah, and he's you know he takes a nice little puff of a cigar when you need me to save the world. Call me, and he walks off into the sunset. And he's jacked. Yeah, jacked. Ron Perlman, can't beat a better Hellboy. Huge. And um, can you kind of just give a quick synopsis of your film career, just start to finish? Yeah. Uh, moved out to Los Angeles. I'm a local guy. This is a wild story, by the way. I'm yeah. just because I had listened to the other podcast. Yeah. Like, you really did live like a Hollywood-type story. Yeah. I mean, you know, I went to I went to the local schools here at Boston College High School and then Boston College, and... Get out of school in the early 90s, and the job market wasn't uh, too too fulfilling. I was going to go to law school, and then I just started. I figured I love the movies, and my mom said, Hey, why don't you try to go get in the movie business? How do you do that, Ma? I called the Mass Film Office and worked for a year, and then I threw caution to the wind. Going to make movies, Ma. My dad's like, Jesus Christ, you know. But at that time, there was no cell phones, right? No internet, so. I got lucky. I moved out there. It was a struggle like everyone is for the first time. You know, no money, no network. And, uh, you know, I, I, I stuck it out for a few years and, and finally met the Fairley brothers just before their careers took off. And when theirs did, mine did as well. So you went with zero money, like nothing to your name? I mean, a few bucks. I mean, not much. So you so you really I didn't were- even know what a down payment on a you know apartment was. You know, first and last and all that. It's all I had. I probably had five grand, maybe. And, and, That's not a lot. <laughs> and, and you knew nobody. Nobody. So, so there must have been something in the back of your mind, like you know, this this might work out though. This this is so crazy that it might. Work. Yeah, that's why you go right. And you're mm-hmm. young and dumb and stupid and gullible and naive. You know, luckily I wouldn't do it now. <laughs> we got but, kids now, right? Yeah, but you know, it's the right time and right moment back then, and. Actually, it's kind of fun. A story. One of the the first one of the first guys I, the the, the first guy I ever met in Los Angeles was Pat Riley, of well, the Los Angeles Lakers. Wow. Someone I, I was well, waiting to get a, uh, my place to stay, and they said, "Ah, oh, it's not going to be ready till later." So I took a I, I I cruised up to Malibu and started kind of driving around, and I ended up in a pizza shop. So had you driven out there from Boston? Yeah, yeah, I drove. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's lived an awesome life. Yeah, <laughs> look at that. And uh, totally alone, right? Totally alone. Good for you. Yeah, not easy, but uh, you know, that's that's part of the journey, right? Makes you stronger. So yeah, elaborate on the Pat Riley. Oh no! So we're in line waiting for our pizzas, and he and he's and he looks like a million bucks. He's all tanned up. They slicked back hair. He's in white linen and everything, and he keeps lo- turning around and looking at me. And I'm like, hey, what's this guy doing? You know? I'm like, hey, hey. So finally, he moves up. I move up, and he comes over and he asks me who I play football for. 
And I said, I don't. He said, I know. He said, what team do you play for? He thought I played in the NFL. Because you're a big dude. Yeah, he just thought I'd, he thought I played in the NFL. And I said, nah, I don't play football. But nice to meet you, Pat. And he said, nice to meet you. And he said, I know. So I went over and I sat down by myself and I had my sandwich and the pizza or whatever. And he's with his kids. And before he left, he came over again and said, I, I know you. I know, I know who you play for. I know he's kind of laying low. Keep up the good work. So I'm like, thanks, man. All right, man. Thanks. <laughs> no problem. Jeez. Actually, real quick, something similar happened to me. I uh, there's a Chipotle in Waltham. Not to did I tell you the story? Nah. There's a Chipotle. I love Chipotle. There's yeah. a Chipotle in Waltham, and you know Health Point in Waltham. It's like yeah. where the Celtics used yeah. to practice before yeah. the Hourback yeah. Center. So Celtics players would go in there all the time, and so I'd go there after I'd work out. And so one day I saw Danny Ainge sitting, trying to just eat very low key, eat his like burrito bowl. And I knew it was him because I was like, this is Danny Ainge, yeah. the trader Danny. It's the guy making it happen. Yeah. So I got my Chipotle bowl and I go out to him I'm like, hey, uh, Mr. Ainge, because I'm like 6'3", you know, I'm a tall dude. Sure. So I could kind of pass as a basketball player. I was like, hey, I just want to know if you, uh, if you got my highlight tape. And he looks at me, he's like, oh, yeah, you tell me that story. That's pretty funny. Yeah. That's a good movie. He's like, highlight tape. <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, Have you, did you see it? He was like, I'm sorry, man. I'm just really busy. I just want to eat my bowl right now. No problem. And I was like, I'm joking. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I just left. It's <laughs> perfect, though. Yeah. Hey, this, you made it happen, man. Have you been in the news center yet? Have you seen it? No. What kind of bowl did he have? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. Yeah. Why would you judge him based on the ingredients? Oh, yeah, absolutely. What he's having. So d- double chicken sofritas, yes, mm. sir. Yeah, what's that other meat they have other than the pork? But the uh, carnitas. No, um, it's like a it's a different kind of pork. Sofritas. No. Anyways, yeah. Do you know? I've you do, you don't big on it. I've never had chipotle. What? Yeah. I've definitely yeah. taken you to chipotle. No, no, no. You definitely have you to definitely. now, though. Dude, Chris is gonna pay you for chipotle after this episode, <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Where is it? Is it close? <laughs> no, no franchise businesses in Union Square. Oh, okay. Pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you go out to LA, right? Yeah. You're wide eyed. You're mm-hmm. bushy tailed. Oh like, yeah. My dream's about to happen. You so, think. You think it might it get close, but at the same time you have you know, you gotta be realistic. So you start how? I I had listened to you working in a bar, you're kinda of just winging it for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I was winging it for a long time. Yeah. I play a lot of basketball and I met everybody playing hoops, and they all said, why don't you go up to this blues club up the street? And then I met the guy, uh, well. Where in L.A.? In Santa Monica and Venice. I lived in Venice for the first year. In kind the, of all over Venice. The area's great, Monica. right? Yeah. It's on the beach. It's close. I always say it's the cleanest air, and it's the coolest you know, part of town. You know? And so you're playing basketball. Yeah, I'm playing basketball. A bunch of guys I'm playing with say, hey, we should go to this new blues club. I run out of money. I'm at a hot dog stand in Santa Monica, and um, I meet a guy who be, would be went on to become my friend and my boss. And I started, and I, I started, I said, "Hey, man, I'm new to the area. I ran out of money." I said, "Hey, man, I went just so you, you know, I just gave a little bit about who I was." He, he said, "You play hoop on the beach?" I said, "Yeah, yeah." He said, "You want to bounce?" I'm like, "Not really, but yes, <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it." And he, so I ended up bouncing there, and then bar backing and bartending, and. The Fairley Brothers used to come in there all the time. And it wasn't really a typical nightclub. It was more of a lounge, kind of relaxed place. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, we just hit it off. And they, you know, just would invite me to watch the games, have dinner over once in a while. And just, and then about, I don't know, 
you know, about four or five years in, I had nothing was happening. Everyone back back east is, you know, their lives are growing and they're buying houses and they're getting out of law school, they're getting their MBAs, and I'm still kind of banging people out of bar rooms and, you know, it's kind of just floundering. But uh, I was just about to pack it in and I got a call from the Fairley Brothers. And they said, Chris, what are you, it's Pete and Bob, what are you doing? I said, what's that, a joke? I said, I'm curled up in the fetal position <laughs> in the closet watching the light bulb. Eating burn. ramen. Yeah, I'm down 70 pounds, I'm about to move into my truck. I don't know if I should hurl myself off the building or, you know. That, that's interesting, too. So, where a lot of your BC buddies, do they, like, go on and do, like, corporate jobs, accounts, lawyers type things? Yeah, most of the guys, I mean, I'm friends with still are either attorneys or in they're in the financial services business. So, you were that locally. one friend that they're like, whoa, what's Chris doing? Yeah, I'm a little bit of uh, an outlier or a rogue, if you will, or yeah. on the fringe. As am I. Most of my friends are in a cubicle right now, so. Yeah. Shout out to you guys. Yeah. And there's no discredit to that. It's just a different path. And, For sure. You know, and sometimes that road less traveled is uh, makes all the difference, and sometimes it doesn't. But that's why you risk, right? That's why we all take risks. And I mean, look at Frank. Look, you know, he's, he lives quite far away, you know, where he comes from, and he's here. So you were, you're 28 or like 29 when you get that call? Yeah, I was 27 when I got the call. And then we went on my first movie full-time was there something about mary which is one of my favorite movies of all time man thank you yeah so did you start out as a pa for the most part no, i started as an assistant to the director okay yeah so that's uh so you're running errands yes you do that but you do more you do the nice thing about it, i tell a lot of kids you should be a producer's assistant or the director's assistant because you touch every facet of filmmaking including doing a lot of the you know menial or trivial work which you don't want to be doing you're also answering phone calls from the studio the producers the editors the production designers the costumers you help assist the direct tell his you know vision and just do whatever he wants especially early on it's, it's not just doing errands and walking the dog and picking the kids up i mean you do a lot of that but um no you don't do enough you don't do a lot of that and hopefully the folks that you're working with you know, within reason. Don't They're not condescending that. like that, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, because you, you know, it, it's, it, that job is very specific to most jobs, and you wouldn't do that in most, you know, most other corporate worlds, mm -hmm. you know. But, um, again, you touch everything from day day one to, um, you know, you touch the script from day one of writing all the way to the day one release of the movie, and you're right along the directors, so you, you're a sponge, and you continue to learn as you go. So they had learned, like, hey, the Chris is about to leave. We love this guy. We're boys with this guy. Let's get him on a movie. He's hardworking enough. Let's. Yeah, essentially. I think they were just giving a young guy a shot that they had come to know but didn't really know that well. We were just acquaintances. And uh, since then, we've become friends and partners in jobs. You know, and right now, I mean, they're, uh, I work with them, not for them a lot of times yeah, yeah. now. And a little bit of both. So I think one thing... I'm at least learning and totally if I'm wrong, let me know. But especially developing like a really solid film team has led to longevity for like a lot of big productions. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So how, how much of a benefit do you think it was that you and then the Fairley team, you guys had similar humors and you guys kicked it off comedically. That has that helped you long term? Oh yeah. I mean, early on I, I, I wasn't really a big comedy guy until I started working for him. You, would you like dramas only? Yeah, I, yeah. Like I said, I wanted Shawshank. 
I wanted a fire know. movie though. Yeah, unbelievable movie. Cool Hand Luke. You know, I wanted to make, but you know, comedies is one of the toughest movies to make. And I learned that and found a new respect for it working with Peter and Bobby, and I've taken that with me. So, um, you're always a funny dude though, or us? Were you? That could be funny when we need to be. Yeah. <laughs> well, some people just aren't funny, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I come from a lot of, you know, a lot of firefighters and cops. Yeah. That's whatever you know. The world makes us laugh. Well, I'm starting to see like a, a common thread for a lot of people that get into entertainment out of Boston too. Just mm. a lot of funny people from the city, man. Oh, I mean, we're some uh, of the funniest. You know, we're a hard scrabble town. And what gets you through life is, is comedy and, and laughter. You know, that's what pushes us to keep moving. I hate when people say life is pain. Yeah. No, I life. hate that shit. Life is pain. Life is struggle. I'd say life is tough. You know, it's not easy for everybody. And what gets us through is laughter, making people laugh. That's why we've lost, you know, a lot of America's lost the funny bone. We've got to get back to having a funny bone. Well, comedy shifted a ton, huh? Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, we have to be careful now. You have the sensitivity. You, you, you couldn't make the movies you were making in the 90s now. No, you couldn't make something about Mary now. You definitely couldn't make something about someone with Down syndrome who has headphones on and baseball yeah. behind their ear. Yeah, we might not. That or The Ringer, you know. Um, but The Ringer, oh, man. Hopefully, you know, that changes because, uh, you know, right now you have the sensitivity police out there constantly checking and rechecking. And, you know, there's a little bit of censorship out there, which... You know, we, we need to laugh. I, but I think there's still a niche for g- good comedy film, though, when you concur. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There always will be. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And those ones shine and break through. Well, I mean, this is me bouncing around a little bit, but were your restrictions when you were working on the Netflix movie, mm. were you was the script more censored than no. other films you've worked on or are they more compliant with some I, of the humor th- that's that that came out uh three, so this is for reference this is the do-over yeah the do-over with adam that Sandler was and david that, spade that script came to me and and was you know was born around you know probably five or six years ago maybe more it's a great idea but um you know the the, the again the times weren't as sensitive as they are today so we did five that, years ago yeah five years ago now yeah. So today, today, I mean, most of Sandler's movies are pretty crass and crude, you know. Which the, the great though. Yeah, that's what that makes that's what makes it him. What's your favorite uh, of uh, an Adam Sandler movie? Well, I'm, I have, I'm biased. I have to say the Do Over. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, you, but Billy Madison's a classic. Billy Madison's a classic. At the end, wedding Chris, singer Chris Farley with the penguin. He's like, ah, yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> The wedding singer. I mean, they're all his, 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 They're good movies. I feel like that. Those. That's my favorite age of movies, though. Is like the late '90s when you were really starting to make yeah. movies. Just yeah. funny oh. movies, man. I mean, we did ni- late '90s. We did me, myself, and Irene. And we did Shallow Hal. Shout out to Father Ken, man. Yeah, Father Ken Gombert, Providence College. As he so he'll never tell anybody that he's in the movie. But then I was watching it one day and I was like, "Dude, that's you! I see you bringing this married couple. What's wrong with you?" It's like, "Yeah, they just wanted me in for one day, and they had this big jib shot where they brought it off a crane." Yeah, no, he was great. You remember? And Peter Fairley's friends with him from college, I yeah. believe. So, so you um, so you start on there's something about Mary yep. did, at the time. This is your first movie, but did you know it was like, okay, this is kind of special. This like is hilarious. 
I didn't really know until we got into the test screening out in Los Angeles when you bring in all the executives and they bring in the executive marketing teams and now it becomes real and everyone's on the edge of their seat. And when you're in the test screening and they do it in a, you know, in your typical public theater. And I was in, I was in the middle of a bunch of kids and once it started and once they started laughing, you couldn't hear the rest of the movie. They were diving across at me, high five, you know. Everybody. Oh, it was wild. Oh yeah, you couldn't hear the jokes, and all of a sudden you see all the execs. Everyone, everyone starts. Really, oh, we have something, you know. Wow, and it just popped. And then Brett Favre comes out, and they're like, "Oh my god!" Oh my god! What? What Brett is Brett Favre? Rock. What? What's the name of the? Um... You know who was originally supposed to be in that? Who's that? It's. it's oh, I think you're telling it, me. You said John Stewart, right? No, he was. He auditioned for the Ben Stiller character. But Brett Favre was initially going to be Bledsoe. Drew no Bledsoe. way. Yeah. And th- this was right in Bledsoe's heyday? Yep. Oh, I love yeah. the shirt today. Yeah, the Pats. Get, yeah, um, I figured I'd wear a little. Pats obliterated last night. Wear a little bit of a little homage to a nice uh, kickoff to the season. Yeah, that was great. So that's also a good segue. Not to bounce around a ton. I got, mm-hmm. I got the ADHD, man. Whoa. It's all right. We all do. So you... uh. You've made a handful of Boston projects. Is that is that important to you? Uh, uh, because yeah, it kind of, of course. It's important to Dave too. Wedge. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is where we come from. We know it best, and and a lot of folks come to us because we we're local filmmakers that we've made movies on the global level, but still make the movies independently. You know, I've made three, four independent movies here, and uh, they're fun because it's in your backyard as well. Do. You do you ever do you think there's an, still a niche in Boston to create Boston based film? Do you think it's played out or do you think there's still a ton of stories out no, here that you'd like to touch on? Yeah, I think I think You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean is it saturated or is it I mean like know, a, how many more towns and departed Yeah, you do exactly. No, I agree with that, but sooner or later one will bubble up and 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 you know will come to the top, you know, whether it's you know, from a novel that was written a hundred years ago, or someone comes up with a new story, a new angle on how to tell this story. You know, Shakespeare said every story's been told three times. You know, when you really watch movies, they're, they're, you know, there's a formula to them, you know? Well, I was telling Dave off camera, and I should probably tell you off camera because mm. we can make a gazillion bucks, man. Mm. Dude, the Aaron Hernandez movie is going to be wild. That is going to be a crazy movie. It won't be boring. The, the plot twist at the end, that he was gay the whole time, that is wild. Yeah, he's it's a troubled story. It is. It's pretty crazy. Okay, so you're out. You, there's something about Mary Happens, right? Yeah. Yep. You're pumped. Pumped. Movie's sick. You yep. were just, you were dogging it in your yeah. studio apartment, ready to right. hurl yourself, swan dive That's s- it. straight onto the pavement. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, I'm a producer on this huge movie. Yeah. I was their assistant, and then what happens is, luckily, because of the success of the film, 20th Century Fox gives you a development deal, a contract. which is the dream for a filmmaker. Saying, hey, we'll give you four movies type thing? Well, you do a first-look deal, and then they give you overhead to establish, you know, establish a company and establish, you know, hire a team of people like myself. And on the next film, I got my first producer credit, and then you go to associate producer, co-producer, producer. Work your way up. To partner, yeah, over Can the next 15 16, 17 years. Can you just elaborate on that one more time? So you, 21st century says, hey, Fairly Brothers, you guys got some vision. 
This yeah. comedy is hilarious. Right. We're gonna we're gonna toss you some bread here to make another movie, and if that one does well, we'll give you three more. Is that how it works? Yeah, they don't really sign you up for three or four. It's 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 they'll they'll sign a deal for you, and then you bring them projects, and they say yay or nay. What is the deal? Well, if they, they you just bring them a project, a script, and they'll either say we like it, or if not, you can still shop it around the rest of Hollywood and go make it at Paramount or, um, you know, MGM or Sony, and then you find the next one, and then they go, oh, we we really want to make this one, and then they'll help, then they finance it for you, and then you go make it, then you have to go package it and get the star and. Like so that. that's how film. So that's how directors and producers develop a rapport with the studio. It's just a really a film by film basis for the most part. Uh, yes. Well, it obviously depends on you know. Twentieth Century Fox had funded something about Mary, which became a juggernaut. Mm-hmm. So they're more apt to to listen to you than if it failed. Yeah, I understand. You know, and, and then uh, you know, again, you hopefully go on a good ride with them. So is that? As a producer, is that kind of the dream is to to work solely exclusively with one studio? Is it, is it uh, is yeah, business yeah. easier that way? Like, you know, everybody. Well, it's, yeah, it's a little easier in that, you know, there's structure and, and you have a steady check coming in all the time, you know, uh, versus freelancing and being hired project per, you know, by project. So now you you have an office and you have a salary and everything else and you can settle in and really you know, get to work and start writing as many scripts as you can because you're constantly developing, you know, a dozen projects or more. And so at the time, so when you were with, it was Conundrum Entertainment, correct? Right. So you're, you're <coughs> exclusively working with 21st Century at this time. Yes. And so you, what's your day to day? You're posted up in an office saying, yeah. okay, we're, we're going to get the wheels rolling on this movie. Yeah. I'm going to go contact this casting agent. I'm going to do this, that. Yeah. They, so my job specifically is still to help the Farrelly brothers the, um, with whatever they need. But then we start reading scripts. It's called coverage. I start doing a lot of coverage. So you're reading scripts after scripts after scripts after scripts. And you give like a book report. You cover that. It's called coverage. And then you, you do a log line and then you do a summary and then you give it pros and cons of what you like and don't like about it. And then you kind of check off the box. Should I read it or not? And it kind of goes up and you recommend it or you don't. But these, so these are not the original screenplays that the Fairleys were writing. These are other right. scripts from yes. other directors. Yeah, they, they, we have the Pete and Bob write their own, but also we get them from other agencies, whether it's CAA, WME, UTA, ICM. Paradigm, Gersh, they send scripts hoping that you'll like what their writers have done and then produce them. And mm-hmm. it, we, The nice thing about a production company is Pete and Bob may direct and write their own films, but they're also going to put their name on and help produce other films that are there with all of us involved. I get it. So it was over time, just pretty much through experience, where you kind of started to develop an eye for a good script, what's good yeah. and what's bad. Yes. Yeah, that, I mean, that takes a knack and it takes training. And the more you do it, the better you get like anything else. Are there any out there still that you're like, oh, I'd really still love to make that movie? Oh, yeah. Oh, you always have a few on the shelf that's the dream. And for whatever reason, they don't, they don't, you know, pop. Even with, you know, some of the most high-powered guys in town and gals in town, it just doesn't go for whatever reason. You know, you attach one star and then you wait too long. The star has another job. You bring the star in. They don't want enough money. You got The money goes away. He goes away or she goes away. And then you have it's a long process, and sometimes hopefully you get lucky, you can make it sooner than later. So, 
Is that another benefit to having a close-knit production team on the administrative level and the production level that, okay, cool, Chris thinks this script's awesome. We should bring this to screen. Now we can make decisions much faster on how to get this movie produced now that you already have your conundrum entertainment. Yeah, that's easier for Pete and Bob. At the time, I was still young, you know, and, mm-hmm. and learning the game. But that would that's if the guys are that passionate about that project – They'll bring it to Fox, and they may have already loosely attached someone, whether it's Jim Carrey or Gwyneth Paltrow or whoever, Jack Black. Zellweger. Yeah, Renee Zellweger. And you might have got the script to them just earlier, so you can come in and say, oh, these folks are already interested, or this is the next project we really want to direct. Here are our thoughts on cast. What do you think? And then the studios will also give their opinion on who they want in the movie, you know, and then hopefully you, you meet in the middle and... And you're ready to rock. Film school 101, Frank. You should learn more now than you'd learn in class. <laughs> so, um, okay, so there's something about Mary Happens. Next is me, myself, and Irene, right? Yeah, we did another, we did we did a two-week kids one. Uh, it was mostly animation. Osmosis Jones, Osmosis right? Jones. I actually love that. Great wasn't, movie. Wasn't Bill Murray in that? Bill Murray. He was like wicked sick, and there was all this yeah. shit happening inside his body, right? Molly Shannon, Chris Elliott. Yeah, that movie Brandy. traumatized me, man. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, it was good. <laughs> I remember the dad was about to die. I was like, oh yeah. my god. Well, that was the message, right? Once she she swallows, he swallows the pill, drinks, mm-hmm. and then you go in. It turns into animation once you go into the body, and you kind of the kids learn all about what a fever is. And what, what Lawrence Fishburne's character was trying to burn him up. Yeah, I remember it was like ridiculous. There was all this science innuendo yeah. going on. We shot that in Plymouth, Mass. All the Bill Murray scenes. Yeah. yeah. And then you just delegate all the animation to a studio yeah. in L.A.? Yeah, we got Warner Brothers. Then we go back out to Los Angeles and, and, and the animators and you know create the beautiful things they do. Did you enjoy it, the oh, yeah. animation section? You oh, yeah. You haven't done anything since that? or An animation? Yeah. No, but we're getting close to doing an animation show. We've written, we've written, I've co-written two animation shows, one that's getting pretty close. You've written it? Yeah. What, can you give us any insight or is it? Yeah, it's called Black Sheep. And it's about it's it's about a biracial Jewish. I was gonna say it's a racial undertones. Yeah, but good one. You know, it's comedic. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What what would be the dream distributor for the project? From like what you're thinking. Um. I mean, it it varies. It I mean, you just you're happy just to get it on the air, right? Yeah, but you're, I mean, you're in you, sales mode. Yes, yeah, you, you go you go from FX to Netflix to you know HBO. Network, it can maybe? be a, yeah, yeah, Adult Swim. I mean, you know, it's Robot a, Chicken. Robot Chicken. I mean, so it could go anywhere. Comedy Central, but uh, I think FX or HBO or Netflix or one of those. Even Adult Swim would be good. Depends on where you want to. You know, depends on what everyone's. Um, depends on where the eyeballs are, man. Yeah. Ultimately. <coughs> yeah, and where they need the eyeballs within that network. So, as a producer, and like you're trying to sell projects now, mm-hmm. you're writing projects. How much has how much has the business itself changed with the growth of these massive online platforms? Like oh, Netflix, huge. Netflix. I mean, everyone used that word disruption, right? I mean... Just Net- changed everything. Yeah, Netflix. I mean, people forget it wasn't that long. Ten years ago, Netflix was a DVD company. Yeah, you pick it up at the grocery store even. Yeah. And Reed Hastings said, you know, I, I own 40... I, what is it? Blockbuster video cost him 40 bucks because he was late a week. And he said, there's got to be an easier way, right? So he just shipped them 
the disc himself to his buddy. He said, why don't we start a DVD company? You can keep it as long as you want. It's 18 bucks a month or whatever it was. And then, luckily, they had the, uh, you know, the foresight of where streaming and where the future of filmmaking might go. And they put 100 million bucks into House of Cards. And it, that changed the game. And then they came out with Orange is the New Black. And it, it's, since then, everybody's been trying to catch up. Hulu and Amazon. And now every... And YouTube. YouTube. I mean, YouTube Red and everybody. I mean, now... I mean, look at... Just recently, finally, all the studios have taken notice and, and, and have to uh, address invention and innovation because they've been behind the eight ball. Who would have thought Disney was going to buy Fox? That would never have happened if the streaming world didn't come into being. Now you have Disney Plus, HBO Go, all these other places because they're trying to grab that that audience in that community, which is so diverse now and scattered throughout. I mean, there's 400, I think, 36 television shows. We're in the dawn of the, we're in the golden age of television. But you know, who is that niche? So, is it? Let's say you have a project, right? You're bringing, you're ready to produce. You're like, okay. It, mm-hmm. the best possible thing that could happen to us is that Netflix buys this. Is that kind of the case right now as a producer? Yeah, or, yes, Netflix or anybody. I mean, it's 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 almost, I mean, it's a miracle when you get something made. Almost a miracle, right? Unless you're Spielberg or, you know, James Cameron. Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson. I mean, all all your, all the guys that are at the top of the food chain, but... Michael you know, Bay, you, my guy. Yeah, if you have a Love piece of, if you have a piece of IP and you can package it and go get the money and go get the team and go get the actors and the directors and all that, and then come to the, um, the network. Hopefully they'll say yes. You know, it depends on what fits into their slate as well. Chris is in sales mode right now. Yes, yeah. totally. Yeah. How how important has for your personal success? How important has the ability to sell been? Is it everything? Oh, it's everything. Yeah. It's literally everything, right? Yeah. I mean, you can write 10 scripts and one will sell. You just got to be able to you pitch know, that thing, though, right? That opportunity cost is, you know, it's not easy to write 10 scripts and only one sells. That's hours upon hours and thousands of hours of your time, you know? And so, for your personal success, you, yeah. you're rising up the production ladder, right? Yeah. Production goat. Made yeah. some classic movies. Yeah. What, what habits did you have to develop early on that were like, yo, this is kind of what helped me get up here. And I'm, I'm saying think everyone's saying it was, it was Hollywood luck, right place, right time. That's not how this works. No, you, know, you, you have to work hard. And then my, I was pretty specific because at the time there weren't very many dual directors. So I worked for two directors, right? So I had to, you have to, I learned most how to uh, multitask. You know, you're working on multiple projects at multiple times, multiple things going on. And uh, I think there was one other, maybe sibling team, but not not many. Now you have friends. The Sadfi brothers make great movies. I do know them. Who? Um, the Sadfi brothers. Have you seen them? Oh yeah, yeah. They just they just had a big one come out. Are they a twenty four Plan B? Yeah. They one just they just they just I, I forget what. Uh, they just had a big movie come out that got bought with Robert Pattinson. But now you have a lot of folks like there's brother teams, there's friends teams. Like it's it's not uncommon now to have two directors on a film. But you know, twenty five years ago, there weren't there weren't too many. It was just like Coppola. Yeah, he was by himself. Yeah, he's one. It wasn't the Coppola kill, killer. Director oh, she's too. a great director. Lost in Translation is a great movie. Who do you like right? Like, who are your favorite up and coming directors right now? Ooh, up and coming. I guess he's already come, but 
David Gordon Green. Mm-hmm. You know, he's already made it, but I like those guys. Danny McBride, a bunch of friends of mine. Are, two friends of mine are working on his show, Righteous Gemstones. Dude, Danny McBride is hilarious. Yeah. Hilarious. Dude. We, he's pounding down is hilarious. Yeah. Vice principals, and he, he's a great guy. I mean, uh, there's been very few actors that come to you at the end of a movie and say thank you. And hey, thank, you. thank you for doing X, Y, and Z, and then you know give you a little gift, and he's one of them. A little ten thousand bucks, yeah. Yeah, they gave me a, a, a box of cigars. That's good enough. I'm happy with that. We'll take it. Just have him <laughs> sign it. You could, you could flip it. <laughs> I won't. I don't flip anything. Are oh, you doing any eBay flipping? No. Okay. I don't even know what eBay is. Well, I'm joking, bro. <laughs> so you, uh, so Warren, I'm learning a lot. Thank you. You having fun? I'm having a blast. Frank, you doing okay? Have you cracked a smile over there, Frank? Yeah, of course. He'll, okay. do, it. He'll yeah. do it like that. He doesn't want anyone to see he's happy. He's in the shadows back there. I, I like know. that. Frank, do you like the new setup? Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. Way better, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, okay, so you are you guys are on this, like, total just killing it, pumping out dope movies. Yeah. At what point are you like, whoa, not many people can consistently make funny comedies. We kind of got something like we're creating a legacy here, man. Yeah, and that's the beauty of Pete and Bob. What they what they do and still do. Uh, Give yourself and a they little want, credit. Well, you know, I'm there. I'm I'm working with them. You know, they're the they're the driving force. We're here. We're there to help support and and and, and push. So uh, with them. Yeah, but they're up there behind the camera. Then you're behind the scenes saying, "Yo, do this, do this, make make this happen." Yeah. I I did. I was like, "Wow!" And I freaked, "Wow!" I can't believe I'm actually working in Hollywood. Is when you're on the mixing stage. It's pretty cool. You know, like when we did the Three Stooges, you're sitting there with a the full orchestra in the background and they're playing, you know, they're scoring the music music to the, the film. That's pretty cool. And were they doing the Foley there too in studio? Oh, yeah. They do all the Foley. But they do that They do that in a different Separate, part of the right? studio, yeah. And then I remember we had a, a little, uh, it's no longer there, but one of our local beautiful old movie palaces uh, in town here, uh, I went and saw one of our, one of our movies was screening there and I walked in just to, you know, and my, my mom's family, I mean, friends were all watching this movie. They didn't even know I was there. I just walked into the back of the theater. Was where, like, where was this? Cambridge? This was in Quincy, Mass. Okay. Yeah, there's an old old school theater there that was there called the Wollaston Theater and that's uh, pretty cool to go in and see a movie there. It was your movie? Yeah. That's fire. Yeah. Well, where, where After gone out to LA 10 years prior and, you know, you know with all that, you know, hustle and everything it's kind of cool to see it come to life so what were some of like the the worst worst onset failures that you had as producer where you're like damn i really came up short (laughs) that must have happened once oh yeah early on that happens all the time because i'm green and i have no idea what i'm doing and then (laughs) pete and bob expect you to know what you're doing and all of a sudden they're like you know go over there and talk to uh cameron diaz and tell her she's you know Five you pounds want, overweight. You, you want me to tell her? That? You want me to tell her? Isn't there a producer that does that? You know, a more seasoned yeah. producer. Um, there's nothing. Uh, I feel like, and I could be wrong, but I, from I could be totally wrong, but from the the genre of comedy you create, mm. it's was the set ever really stressful, or was it were most people laid back? No, it's pretty stressful. It's always stressful. Yeah, yeah. I mean you have a lot of money on the line and you're dealing with some big egos and some of the biggest stars in the world. Um, 
and you have to deliver, you know, because sometimes, you know, he's, you know, you know, that cliche, you're only as good as your last movie. Execute. Yeah. So you have to execute and do that well. And so you hire the right guys and the right team around you, hopefully, and the gals, and knock on wood, it becomes fruitful for everyone. But you're not, there was never a moment where you're like, whoa, this is a million dollar shot, man. Chris, you did not do your job. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, at that time, that wasn't wasn't my responsibility. But you already know all that going in, the prep work, right, and pre-production. So you have rehearsals and you're doing, you, you know, you try to mitigate that risk as much as you can. So that's that's why you have prep work and you hire the right guys and the right team and the right people. So when you get in there on the day, you know, you're going to bump into speed bumps all along and curveballs along the way. But t- typically... Knock on wood, there isn't any big ones at that point. The toughest part of making the movie is the prep work. Yeah, the preparation is And terrible. then once, once you're yeah, there, once just... you're there, you're still putting out fires, but that's the fun part is making the movie. Okay, quick transition here. Yeah. So after the the Golden Age run, yeah. you then make the documentary, the Louis Tion documentary. Correct, yeah. I did killer-ass research for this podcast. You did. <laughs> Jesus, straight I didn't know I had a big shot in the building, man. I had to come I'm ready. Surprised you even know who Louis is? Of course, it's the, it's the Cuban mastermind, right? Yeah, absolutely. And he, and from everyone's just experience Maestro. about this dude, I, I try my best not to talk about other dudes just on the podcast for whatever reason. Yeah. But everyone says this guy was just like a legend in every respect. And so you finish Fever Pitch, right? Classic movie. I actually loved. Jimmy Fallon, I, I'll always remember the the shot of the toilet paper with the Yankees on. Yeah, it. I always yeah. thought that shit was hilarious. We had to fight that tooth and nail because I'm sure uh, it's a copyright thing, right? Yeah, copyright plus the studio plus you kind of throwing them under the, you know under everything, if you will. Yeah, it was a, a, a red it was a Red Sox movie. Like yeah. everyone hates the Yankees. So um, you then say, okay, I met Louis Tiant. Mm. This dude is kind of on the way out but he wants to go back to Cuba. I got to make this happen. Can you yeah, well, his career had already been over for a long time, but... No, he, I, I mean, like, he was... You said he was sensing his own mortality. I, I think he was sensing his own mortality just because at, at that time he was almost 70, you know, and, you know, you st- maybe you start feeling the clock's ticking and, and you've always wanted to go home to the country you grew up in and you love, but you couldn't go back for whatever reasons. And uh, he said that at the end of the night. And, and a friend, Vic Melfa, introduced me, and I was driving home, and he said, hey, man, he said, imagine if, imagine if we could take him home. And I thought about it for a couple of weeks. I didn't really know him. I didn't know if he was full of shit or not and, and blowing smoke. And I called him a couple of weeks later. He said, Louie, you really want to go home? He said, absolutely. I said, if I can get you home, can I take a camera crew? He said, absolutely. And it took us two years to get to Cuba. Yeah, what was the the state of the government at that time? working with Cuba? It was still pretty tight. I mean, Bush was in office at the time. And he hated and, Cuba's guts, right? Yeah, I don't know if he, I don't know about that. Was it's Castro just, was dead? Am I no, sure? he was still alive. Yeah, he, and, and he was still alive at the time. And now his brother Raul runs the country. But uh, you know, with the embargo and the sensitivity of the those two of the two countries, it's just uh, it was unfortunate. But luckily, we got to go and, and and bring Louis back. Make an awesome movie. Yeah. So you have the idea, right? Like, let's bring him back. Are you the one who has the idea to pick the director in this situation? And yeah, and that this is all you're doing. Yeah, well, myself and, and Bobby Fairley. Mm-hmm. So I bring the I I, I I come up with the idea, and then I broach it with the Fairley brothers, and they either like it or they don't. I can go make the movie by myself or with them. And but you they, already got that sales skill, right? And they and they love it. 
So then now we go on our search for a director. And at that time, I forget who introduced us to John Hawk. John Hawk, I think, is one of the best sports documentarians in the world. He's done most of the 30 for 30s that you've enjoyed. He did Incredible. Fab Five. Did Fab Five. He did the Marcus Dupree. What's your favorite, Frank? Your favorite 30 for 30? I don't even know. Okay, nice. <laughs> he's, you know, he's new to the game. Um, yeah. 30 for 30, they're ESPN sports-based documentaries okay. about like really... Human interest stories. Yeah, really like pivotal stories in sports that also include culture. and. Okay. They're like vice documentaries for yeah. sports. Yeah, yeah and it, it's, it's like how I pitch it to the Fairley brothers. It's about a guy going home after 46 years in exile who happened to play baseball for a living. Oh, but your sales skill is already 100. You yeah. that Chris Meyer. So it's, it's not really about the baseball. It's about mm-hmm. him going home and obviously mm-hmm. what he's done in and around baseball. And that's what... You know, John also did the Chris Heron story, local yes, sir. basketball legend in, 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 in his fight with addiction. I was dead for 30 seconds. Yeah. He was home, dead for you've been dead for 30 seconds, homeboy. Yeah. Yes, sir. And now he's doing well and turned his life around and trying to turn other kids' lives around the country. A blunt in the solo cup. I told you, he, he'd come to my high school and spoke. Yeah. He's an intense dude, man. He is. There was you a, remembered it. What? You remember that? Well, I remember him That's calling out a intense. kid in the audience, yeah. too. Because the kid was talking over him. He was like, you want to get up here? You want to get up here and do the speech? Yeah. I was like, I would hate to be that kid right now. Yeah. So um, you you touched back down in Cuba. My sister went to Cuba, and she was like, it's literally <coughs> like as soon as you step off the boat, it's like you're walking into the 1950s. Oh, yeah. Is that what it was like? Oh, yeah, it still is. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful place. Because beautiful there, people. there's been no trades. So yeah, they have yeah. no, like... They they have more now, but they had no American right. product at the time, right? Right, yeah. You could, the only t- at the time, and it's probably fairly still close, but you could only trade with them agriculturally. So you could, you know, anything agriculturally related, you could. But other stuff was just wasn't happening. So at the time, were you like, oh my god, I'm making a magic happen here? This is unbelievable. Yeah, to go back to Cuba, I've never been in Cuba. Been with Cuba with a gentleman who became my friend. Louis Tiant and uh, took him home. That's pretty cool. I know we got nominated for an Emmy. I, I was gonna know? say, did you know at the time you're like this is gonna make an incredible production? No, you, you go in. I mean, you go in hoping for the best, right? You do the best you can. You don't know. I mean, you know, you, you have an idea. Hopefully, if it's good enough, but no one knows if it's gonna win an Oscar or you know, you know, make a billion dollars at the at the box office. You hope it does, and you hope you you know you do whatever you can, and then. It's up to the movie or TV guys what happens after that. So you're saying, so kind of based on this, like, just if you find a good story, man, just stick with the good story. Yeah. Yeah, but you you also have to find out and have your finger on the pulse on, 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 on what's going on in the world what as well. What the market like. Yeah, the market, commercial, what isn't, what's, what's happening out there in the world. That's what I heard Jerry Bruckheimer say, too. He was like, I just make movies that I like. And yeah. I, I make movies that I picture if I just sat in the back of a theater, I could eat my popcorn yeah. and enjoy it. Yeah. So it's the same thing for you for yeah. the most part? Yeah. Have there ever been movies that you've signed on for knowing that, like, dude, this is not going to hit? No. Usually I you try to go in with the right right attitude. Okay, otherwise, otherwise you wouldn't get involved if you think it's, this is going to be a tank. This is going to, you know, this is going to blow up any second. Why are we making this movie? Well, I, I mean, I, you've never had, you've never been apprehensive with certain scripts or storylines that you think might be pushing it. Oh yeah. 
I mean, you always do that. I mean, that, but that's part of the collaborative writing process, and you, that's why you have five guys reading it at the same time. They all give their input, in, in including the network or the studio, to help make it better. You know, there's never been a script that just goes in right away and starts making. Everyone's got to touch it at some point and, and put their uh, finger on it at some point to make it better. Okay, quick segue. So you've been making a lot of Boston projects. You kind of want to talk about the new one you just made. Give, give you a little promo, a little marketing, a little plug. Yeah, yeah. This one, we're hopefully going to enter the... the uh, it's called The Last Night in Rosie, correct? The Last Night in Rosie, yeah. It stars Neil Brown Jr., who's a, uh, on a show called Seal Team, a hit show. Uh, another uh, gentleman that's in it, Jeremy Sisto, he's in a show called FBI, which is on network television. Uh, Nikki Whalen, who was in our show, our movies, Hall Pass, uh, she plays uh, the former uh, wife of one of the guys. And uh, Kevin Chapman, who was in Person of Interest, he's been in a lot of local movies, great actor. Um, we shot it for 15, in 15 days. A nice indie movie. Where? Uh, mostly in Rosendale. So Quincy, Mass., you know, all all over the city. That's been nice for you, right? You should yeah. move in your hometown. Yeah, nice and close to home. Did you stay at home for it? Oh yeah, nice. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. Well, you're working on a very low, low budget movie. Yeah, you need to save it as much money as you can. So you're not. Uh, Who financed? Yeah, you're not staying at the Intercontinental. <laughs> <laughs> Who financed it? Um, we, we 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 friends and family. Cool. Yeah, we made the movie for half a million bucks. Cool. Yeah, and half a million bucks is. To me, a lot of money, but in the movie yeah. world, it's not that much. No, not at all. What was the biggest budget movie you had worked on? Um, uh, let me think. Jeez, well, they range from anywhere from fifty to seventy million. I would, you know, maybe. What was the Netflix? Netflix that was sixty million. Yeah, fat. Because there were a bunch of explosions. I remember effects. Yeah. Yeah, when you have car crashes and fight scenes and things blowing up, that tends to uh, jack up the budget. There's a niche. That's why the indie films, you see less people. There's not a lot of that going on because they can't afford to pay for all that. Yeah, absolutely. So it's more story-driven than anything. Can you can you just elaborate a little bit on what the independent movie is that you're doing? Are you allowed to do that? Oh, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. It's about... It's about uh, Two two gents that reunite twenty five years later from uh, from their childhood that had something go very wrong, and they 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 circle back twenty five years later. That Chris Myers, Myers sales pitch, yeah, it's cryptic. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds scary. No, it's pretty good. It's a it's a great story about friendship and uh, how, how friendships change and, and morph throughout your years and and. Um, Two guys get together when the you know uh, one's on their deathbed and, and they they make peace with each other and themselves. Is was that edited in state as well? In state, yeah. Where is it? Ah, uh, that edit that's being edited in New York actually. So you give the New York guys jobs, man. Why can't we keep sorry the here? director? We, we, well, we made all the the movie here, so. Well, yeah. So that that's been a big topic of discussion, and I think if we're gonna cut up a clip, Frank, it will be this. You ready? Who's ready for this question? Me. Okay. You, Frank. Yeah, I'm ready. So, actually, I'm, this won't be the what we cut up because we've asked it before. But a lot of people 